Hello and welcome to the Raptors Ration Podcast for Sportsnet. I'm Manny the Fan. I'm your host, Wayne Lewis, speaking to you after the Toronto Raptors easily dispatch of the Charlotte Hornets, winning by a score of 124 to 114 to complete the uh, back-to-back uh, set here against Charlotte. Um, the score was decently close in the sense that the Raptors had control the whole time. Um, but, you know, I thought the Raptors actually did a really good job of every single time the, the Hornets cut it to single digits. And they made a lot of, like, just random shots tonight. A lot of, like, um, I don't know, Rogier fading into the corner or, like, the ball ricochets around and, you know, Plumlee gets an and one or, like, the, the ball just badly misses off the backboard, but it, it's, you know, squirts right to uh, a three-point shooter. It, it's stuff like that where it's just like, okay, um, I don't know if this game is actually close or if it's really just the Hornets are just uh, getting some lucky breaks. But yeah, honestly, the Raptors simply outclassing the Hornets, which is exactly what you want to see, right? Like as bad as the Raptors season has gone, you know that the Raptors are much, much better than the Hornets, even with the Raptors in a down year. And I thought the Raptors were able to elevate their level. And, you know, the focus today, once again, was just sort of sharing the ball. Um, you know, I think when you look at the Raptors, they cooled off from three. They had a hot start, but they only finished with uh, 10 made threes. But the Raptors still shot 52% from the field, still had uh, 30 assists. This is now back-to-back games where the Raptors had 30 assists, which is uh, the first time this happened this season. Uh, by the way, the Raptors only have five games all year with uh, 30 or more assists. So, you know, obviously the ball movement could be a lot stronger. But today the ball movement was strong, you know, and I think that uh, – whether that was, you know, Scotty Barnes connecting the play, finishing with a team-high nine assists, or Fred Van Vliet having eight assists, and including four of those to Scotty, all on the roll, right, right at the rim. Um, the ball movement was just strong. And, um, yeah, I mean, it just leads to open shots. And, again, look, the Hornets are just an awful team. Like, they, they, they just have just the most comical stretches of play. Um, you know, they have tough shot makers, which keeps them in the game, right? I think Ball hit a number of, like, 40-foot bombs, and Rogier. this guy's, like, he, he reminds me of, like, the guard version of Julius Randle. Like, when I saw Julius Randle come in here with the Knicks, and then they actually beat the Raptors, I was just remarking the whole time, like, man, he's making the wrong decision on every play, but it's working. And it feels like that was Rogier. Like, he'll have, like, a wide-open Plumlee right at the basket, ready to dunk the ball, but he'll fade into the corner or something, and it'll just work, you know? And so they have tough shot makers, but... Ultimately, they also just have just the sloppiest stretches to play. Like at one point, and, I, and this this is where I've started to feel bad for for Steve Clifford, right? Because the Raptors give up or the Raptors score uh, 38 points in the first quarter, right? So you, you know that Steve Clifford, you know, at that timeout, you know, in between quarters was definitely stressing like, hey, guys, can you please, please play some defense? Like, please play defense. I'm begging you to play defense. And the first play out of the, the, you know, from the Raptors after the, the second quarter starts is Scotty Barnes literally cuts right behind the entire defense, un, you know, notice for a dunk. Um, and so the Hornets call timeout, right? And I'm thinking, okay, what are the Hornets going to do, right? Because usually, not even just a good team, but any sort of respectable team after that happens, after the coach calls timeout, would come out and execute something. Maybe they don't score, but they execute something. And after that timeout, when the Hornets called it, because the Raptors literally got a wide open dunk. This is what happened. The Hornets committed five straight turnovers on five straight plays. Five straight turnovers. And some of those were just so dumb. Like the first play coming out of the timeout, um, Cody Martin drove the lane. He had an open layup or at least a semi-open layup. Instead, he throws up a lob, even though the Hornets guy is, um, 
outside of two Raptors defenders who are both very tall. I think it was like Boucher and, and Precious. And so the Raptors pick off the pass, go the other way. You know, they, they, they're able to dunk, right? Um, and then you had a, a, another turnover from the Hornets. Then you go the other way. Chris Boucher has the ball in the corner, deep corner, shooting a three, fading out of bounds. Like, it wasn't even a good shot. It was, in fact, that's a horrible shot for the Raptors. But the Hornets over-exaggerate and they, they overcompensate. <laughs> they dive out of bounds to foul Chris and they give up three free throws. Like, why would you foul a 25% three-point shooter falling out of bounds on the corner? Like, what are you doing, right? And then the Hornets have another turnover. Precious uh, is leading the break, drives hard to the basket. He, you know, to be honest, he he was fouled, so he was going to the free throw line no matter what. But he threw up a bad shot that, you know, ultimately probably wasn't going to go in. Instead, the Hornets literally hustle backwards and goaltend the shot. So they he, he ensured the end one. And then the Hornets turn it over again. The Raptors come back down. Um, Barnes had the ball on the top of the floor. Gary Trent Jr. makes a back cut, and Barnes finds him, and Gary gets fouled at the rim for an and one. Like, it, it's just so, just such long stretches of losing basketball. Like, just stuff that just doesn't need to happen. Um, and you know what? I, I think for the Raptors, like, they were able to capitalize off of that, and they were just able to ride it out. Like, I, I just thought that, you know, the fact that the Raptors probably got I don't know, man, at least five or six dunks in this game. And then they had a whole bunch of rolling layups to the basket. First quarter alone, the Raptors really were able to exploit the fact that the Hornets just didn't have uh, a good defensive scheme against what the Raptors wanted to do. And so many times the Hornets were trying to step up on, you know, uh, running Fred off the line or even running Pascal off the line or whatever. And the Raptors were just fine, you know, rollers. And they found Barnes for two rolls to the basket. They found Christian Coloco rolling, rolling to the basket, like just simple basketball throughout the game. I saw more pick and roll finishes from this game from the Raptors than any other game all season. And some of that was just great ball movement. Some of that was just the Hornets had bad, just comically bad defense for long stretches. But again, you got to give the Raptors credit because they played a lot as a team. And, you know, as we've seen the formula the last couple of games, Pascal Siakam comes out at the start of the game and just completely dominates. Just completely dominates. I mean, to be fair, he wasn't the only guy, right? When the Raptors scored 38 points, you know, that's what happens. But Pascal Siakam completely dominates. And this is what happens. So when the Raptors make their substitutions and they bring in their bench players midway through the first quarter, and today it actually took a little bit longer. There was just a long stretch of continuous play. So the the bench guys didn't come in until the four-minute mark of the first quarter. But after that, you know, Pascal Siakam knocks down a three. Pascal Siakam foul on the drive. Pascal Siakam drives to the rim, bank shot, makes it. Then Pascal is, is hard blitzed. Uh, he passes out to Coloco, who swings it to Wancho, who swings it deeper into the corner for OG for three. So right away, Pascal is able to continuously just be that number one option when that bench comes in. But to be honest, everybody was doing well, right? Like at the start of the game, the, the, the first couple of possessions, it was OG in the post. And the first play, OG was in the post uh, against Rogier, Easy turnaround jumper, like five feet. Um, you know, he really backed down a smaller guy and then just calmly spun away from the shot contest and made the short jumper. Then OG in the post, the, the help converges to him because he just scored on the first play, swings an opposite court for Gary Trent Jr. for three. You know, then it's Fred's turn to play pick and roll against, you know, with Scotty Barnes. And the Raptors are really looking to involve Mason Plumley in a lot of uh, possessions defensively. And so you get Scotty's man to come screen for him. Plumley steps out to the three-point line to try to run Fred off the line. And Fred, you know, is able to find uh, Scotty for the rolling dunk. Then OG Anobi transition. He's able to drive all the way down the court for a layup. Then Gary Trent steals the ball, hits it ahead to Pascal, hits it to Scotty. Then Scotty reverses it back to Pascal for a layup. Then Fred steals the ball from Plumley, goes in transition, finds Scotty for a dunk. Then Scotty's in the pick and roll. 
uh, you know, he's screening, catches the ball on the move, uh, swings the ball out, kicks it out to Pascal for three. Uh, then Pascal beats his man, you know, gets into the paint, corner kick out to OG for three. Like, it's just so many, so many easy, easy plays. And then OG with another bully ball play. And, yeah, you, it just started rolling right away. And, and I think that that was really important to see because, look, the Raptors are much better than the Hornets. No matter what you want to say, even if you were uh, one of the people that really want the team to tank and you were looking at this game like, okay, this is an opponent that, you know, would be important from a tanking perspective to lose. How do you even lose against a team like that? When a team commits five straight turnovers out of a, out of a quarter, out of another quick timeout, it's just hard to do that, right? Um, and so, yeah, you know, the, the only thing that I thought maybe he's thrown a bit of a wrench into the Raptors rotation plans is that uh, Christian Coloco came in with four minutes left in the first quarter, but somehow picked up three fouls in those four minutes. And so obviously you can't play him again in, in the second quarter. So, you know, right now the Raptors have been rolling with a nice rotation where they've been having Christian as the center in a lot of these bench lineups. But obviously with him getting, um, you know, into early foul trouble. And again, that's something for him. He just can't ha- let that happen. Like you just can't commit three fouls in four minutes, no matter what. It's really going to undercut your own performance. I thought Christian was actually off to a decent start, but again, you just can't do that. And so Nick decides to shuffle up his rotations. To be honest, he might have wanted to shuffle this anyway because um, instead of the last two games where he's only bringing in Wancho and Christian midway through the first quarter and then using four bench guys in the uh, second quarter, this time, instead, he uh, brings in three bench guys at once. It was Malachi, it was Wancho, and it was Christian at once at the four-minute mark of the first quarter. And, um, you know, what this allowed the Raptors to do was, first off, buy Fred more time to rest. And Fred played a respectable 35 minutes. But also, you know, it allowed, uh, you know, uh, for Scotty to come back in. And now Scotty was sort of the, the, the secondary point guard, right? Like you had or actually, no, I think Scotty was the main point guard because, you know, um, at the start of the second quarter, instead of it was Gary plus four bench guys, now it was Gary and Scotty plus three bench guys. And I thought it worked really nicely. I thought, um, you know, first off, it, it really gave you another option to play through. Obviously, you have Gary and his options to score. And tonight was actually a, a weird off night for Gary where he wasn't able to score as efficiently. A lot of times in the fourth quarter, he had a chance to sort of knock in the final three to put the Hornets away, but he missed two wide open ones. Fred had to knock down the final three to, to really fully put this game away. Um, but yeah, you know, like you, you have that option to score with Gary, but you also had the option to sort of run things through Scotty and I really liked the game that Scotty played today. Um, obviously, he was able to finish in terms of like going to the basket and, and stuff like that. But you know, it, it, he also was able to direct the offense quite well. And that was a stretch there where the Raptors were able to push their lead up to I think twenty points uh, while the Hornets were turning the ball over. And you know what? You got some good contributions from your bench guys, right? Like I think the energy from Precious and Chris has been super high in the last couple of games. You know, you wanted to see them get on the glass more in this game. But ultimately, like, I, I thought they played hard. They defended hard. They rotated to the basket. You know, all that stuff was really solid. Precious had five steals, too, which I might have to go back and watch. But that that seems pretty amazing to me. I, but I don't remember any of the individual steals. Um, but, yeah, you know, like, you, you just had, like, a good stretch from your bench. And even though um, the first quarter, or the second quarter, the Raptors were able to extend the lead with their bench. The fourth quarter, they weren't able to do so. But, again, like... I'll take one for two from the bench. I really would. The bench on tonight was just overall a net neutral. And you will live with that because, you know, so many of these nights, the bench has been an aggressive negative. And so I think for this, for the third straight game uh, and for the third straight win, you know, the, the bench has been productive in, in that sense. And I think Precious returning to form has really helped. There obviously is this chaos element with Precious and he does, you know, make a lot of bad reads. Like, for example, when Pascal was getting blitzed, right, because, again, he was just scoring every time he touched the ball and the Hornets had nobody to guard him. I mean, they were guarding him with, like, 
Dennis Smith Jr. Like, first off, he's not even that good of a defender. And second of all, he's a point guard. What are you doing guarding Pascal with that, right? But, you know, uh, he also put P.J. Washington on five fouls. Uh, J.T. Thor was sort of in the game to sort of shade Pascal and sort of match his minutes. But then, I mean, he's J.T. Thor. Like, what are you, what are you really going to do with that, right? So, um, you know, he, he kind of dis- – uh, Steve Clifford decided to go for a three-guard lineup. And so Dennis Smith was sort of the option somehow to guard Pascal. And so – he wasn't able to handle it one-on-one. So, in fact, instead of doing that, the Hornets in the second half, especially when the third quarter rolled around and it was sort of Pascal's time to, to, to dominate once again, they started sending hard doubles at him. Like, hard doubles in the sense that, like, Pascal obviously is not a threat from, like, 30 or 40 feet um, just handling the ball and trying to set up the play. But the Hornets were so eager to get the ball out of his hands that they were sending um, two guys to sort of trap him at the top of the floor. And listen, you set that play up, that's fine. But you have to obviously then hit the the you know the 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 roll man there who the doubles usually coming off of and so that was precious in the middle of the floor and so many times precious would catch the ball on the roll and then make the wrong read whether that's he drives to the rim and makes the wrong shot or he you know has help coming over from um his right in terms of that's where the rotations are are weaker and and that's where the open shot is but instead he swings the ball to his left where the shot is contested you know, stuff like that. So I, I just thought that, you know, Precious ultimately could definitely use a lot more work as the role man, especially as sort of making the reads and the floor awareness. But ultimately, that was a problem that I felt like the Raptors could really handle, especially when they could just bring in Scotty Barnes to be center. And of course, Scotty is an excellent passer on the short roll, right? And so stuff like that, where it just, you know, again, the Hornets made enough plays where they kept it close. Um, and, you know, you do have to give it up to a guy like Melo, who's able to shoot from 40 and knock it down. And, and Rogier's made some tough passes and Plumley. You know, even though, like, I, I swear, like, 80% of the time, Plumlee would drive hard to the rim and then just kick it out randomly. And uh, some of those were late turnovers in the fourth quarter. But, you know, he was able to go 6-6-6 from the field. And even though he's shooting that awkward one-handed, left-handed uh, push shot from the free throw line, he was able to make four free throws there and, and make a couple of connecting plays. And, you know, I don't know. The Hornets was just not necessarily super easy to put away. But at the same time, the Raptors were able to just consistently get, you know, easy opportunities and this is a game where again I just thought all the starters played pretty well right I thought Fred played his role well you know I think defensively you would have liked to see him do a better job of containing um, Lamelo or Rozier off the bounce a lot of the times those guys were able to get past him uh, and then of course at that point you're really you know reliant on your help defense to sort of be able to protect you on that front and the Raptors were able to do it quite a few times you know so um, that was okay but ultimately you do want to see better point of attack defense for fred you know he's capable of better than that but ultimately he just didn't really force his offense right when, when we're talking about like fred van vliet moving off ball and sort of moving in sort of a distributive role this is what a lot of people had envisioned not necessarily it's like him only taking eight shots but outside of like one pull-up three that he took in the first quarter uh where he missed it just you know pull up three a little bit aggressive but still ultimately like a decent look in terms of just like the defense has dropped back and he's pulling up for three Missed it. Outside of that, he everything he had was just really within the flow of the offense. You know, a couple times, you know, when he had an angle on his guy driving and finishing a couple times at the rim, uh, got to the free throw line once, you know, you know, but ultimately didn't turn the ball over outside of one time and then had eight tur- uh, assists as well. And just kept distributing everyone. And of course, at the very end of the game, when he finally got a wide open catch and shoot look, he was able to knock it down and, uh, you know, easily uh, put away the game at that point. So, you know, you, you had all your starters essentially playing pretty, pretty well in this game. And of course, 
you know, you could look at Scotty, you could look at Fred, you could look at OG, you could look at Gary, but ultimately the number one guy on the Raptors is Pascal Siakam. And tonight, I mean, this is his most efficient game for a very long time. Like, I don't even try to, I'm not trying to be hyper, you know, hyperbolic, but this is probably his most efficient game since game one of the NBA Finals. If you remember that game, you know, obviously the Raptors' first ever time being in the Finals and the emotions in the building and, you know, how they're going to do and it's the Warriors on the other side. And Pascal Siakam came out and had, what, 30, I forget how many points now. Let me just look at it real quick because this is a happy memory of mine. Uh, Pascal Siakam in game one of the NBA Finals had uh, 32 points on 14 of 17 shooting. That game he made two threes, only went to the free throw line twice, uh, knocked down both, had five assists as well, and the Raptors obviously winning game one of the Finals. So that was obviously hyper-efficient, 32 points on 17 shots. By the way, being guarded by Draymond Green as well. Uh, this one, obviously, no Draymond Green's, <laughs> nothing close to it on the Hornets. But ultimately, in terms of efficiency, 35 points on 11 of 13 shooting, a perfect 3 of 3 from the free throw line, 10 of 12 from the free throw line, in addition to 3 assists as well for Pascal. And this is like a game where, again, he only had 13 shots because the the, the Hornets started deciding, like, look, listen, we have to show you the ultimate respect and just send two guys at you at half court and just force you to get rid of the ball. Like, we just can't even let you touch the ball, right? Obviously, you're not even a threat from half court. We just got to trap you, right? And and that's the only reason why Pascal didn't get over 40 tonight. But just such an efficient outing, you know, one-on-one cooking guys, um, you know, the pull-up for three in the first quarter, you know, catching and shooting for three within the flow of the offense. Everything was just looking beautiful. The transition finishes, um, the setups to other guys, the hockey assists as well. Like he was just doing everything. And of course, drawing fouls as well. And not only him going to the free throw line 12 times, but, you know, there was a stretch there to the first four fouls of the game or of the fourth quarter on the Hornets were all drawn by Pascal Siakam, including on one play where he drew two fouls on the same play. And it's, these aren't like bait fouls. Like he's not like doing a rip through or he's not like, uh, you know, holding the ball out and running into a guy's, you know, arm and then flailing or whatever like these are just like he is just getting to his spots putting the defense under pressure and then they have to foul sort of just like you know stop him basically from scoring and yeah it was just such an efficient approach and, I, and one of the shots I really loved the most was in the fourth quarter you know it was like again a lot of the fourth quarter was just sort of like okay the, the Hornets made a tough shot and they've cut it down to single digits and what happens and you know um, Pascal is able to collect the miss come down the floor um, you know, he got the first screen, the, the trap came, but then it also faded, right? Um, there was an option there where he could have found Scotty temporarily open, you know, on the roll to the basket, and he probably would have been able to finish. Or he could have found OJ Anobi in the corner for three because LaMelo had tagged off the corner to try to bump Scotty on the roll, which meant that it was a two-on-one, so OG would have been open in the corner. Probably would have been a decent three in terms of just, like, attacking or shooting against a closeout or even driving and putting on the floor and attacking against the closeout and sort of making the next rotation of the defense. He also had another option with Gary open on the other side of the floor as well. Today he could have rotated, but instead Pascal just held the ball, calmed it down and just said, guys, chill, right? I got Terry Rozier on me. <laughs> and he backed him down, backed him down, got into the mid range and then just calmly shot over Rozier. Now, of course, Scotty on the roll is a better shot. OG and Obi in the corner is a better shot. All this other stuff is, is is probably a better play. But I, I just like the fact that Pascal literally just said, guys, chill out. You know what? They've been trapping me. I haven't necessarily been in rhythm just because they're not letting me shoot. But I have Rozier on me. I can take my time. And I know I can score. And I know I can get a bucket for us right now. And, yeah, I mean, just, I don't know. You almost take his greatness for granted, right? Like, it, it's, I get it. It's the Hornets. Like, we're not going to gas it up that much. And, of course, we're almost 
desensitized to sort of how inflated some of the scoring totals have been, right? Every time you think about big numbers, you're thinking about 71 from Donovan Mitchell. You're thinking about uh, 60, 20, and 10 from Luka. You're thinking about 50 balls from everybody, including Pascal. So 35 is whatever. But 35 points and 11 of 13 shooting is just an absurd number. And, you know, again, you just, like, yeah, it was the Hornets. But to be honest, the Raptors probably would have lost this game if Pascal didn't play this, this well, you know? And the the, the way he's able to just patiently get to his spots and, and attack, I mean, he's just he was just kind of unstoppable from all corners of the floor. Like, we've seen a lot of games this year where Pascal has dominated has had 30 plus points and all that kind of stuff. But we have rarely seen teams just entirely just surrender and say, we just need to trap you and force anybody else to, to, to have the ball. And that's the ultimate form of respect to me, you know, like, but again, this is what he was doing. Like just, you know, driving um, to the basket and stuff. That's like really, really clever. Like for example, one time today, he, he attacked a gap in the defense, um, got past his defender and there was a shot blocker ready at the rim. Not only did he pull up short and go for the floater over the shot blocker instead of going all the way and potentially getting blocked, but Pascal also kind of like pulled up short and almost like not necessarily backed up into his man, but deaccelerated enough where his man that he had initially beat on the perimeter was trying to get back into the play. And by Pascal slowing down so much, the guy bumped him as he was coming in from behind. And Pascal's able to not only finish the play, but draw the and one. Stuff like that, where it's just like, you all, you already have the defense in jail. Now you have the presence of mind to maximize that, right? And that could have easily just been two points. But instead, he makes it three points, which is just a very clever play. Small little details like that in the game where he's just able to consistently, you know, um, take that next step. Because when you're already great, when you're already had, uh, you know, two all-NBA seasons now, when you've already made the all-star game, when you've already won the, uh, the NBA championship as a number two scoring option, you are really dealing in smaller, finer margins. And that's not to say Pascal is some sort of completed player and he's a perfect player. But I'm, I'm, what I mean is that, like, the desire to be great and to take the next step is to master some of these smaller margins. And, you know, I just thought he did a perfect job with that tonight. You know, driving kick to OG for three, you know, and one around Martin, who, you know, was trying to step in for a charge. But Pascal beat him to the spot. You know, honestly, Carly could have been reviewed. I don't know. I don't think the Hornets have reviewed any plays in the last two games. I think I think Steve Clifford just wants to finish his job and get home as quickly as possible. He's like, no, nah, I'm good on the review. Um, yeah, it's just stuff that's really smart. And again, in, in terms of speaking to the, the manipulating the margins, right? Another thing here is a lot of plays now Pascal's at the end of the game and, and it's uh, he is negotiating two-for-ones, right? Um, he obviously had a two-for-one at the uh, end of the first quarter, but I thought at the end of the, the third quarter, um, he also had a pull-up three against drop-back coverage at the end of the second quarter as well. For the end of the third quarter when Pascal was attacking, right? So a, a two-for-one scenario where... Um, First, he brings a hard sc- he brings a screen to draw a hard double at 30 feet. He swings it to OG, who rolls down the rim and then dumps it off to Precious, uh, who gets fouled at the basket. Now, unfortunately, Precious missed both free throws. Um, but that was a really clever setup because on the previous play, Pascal was able to um, drive before the double team came, got into the bas- uh, got into the rim. And even though he missed the first shot, was able to tap it back in. So, in fact, the fact that he shot, uh, what, 11 of... 13 and he had two misses one of those misses he actually put back <laughs> so again just a ridiculously hyper efficient play and just the, the knowledge just sort of thread through the last two plays right knowing that the, the double is coming 
he's going to attack it first by being quick and getting to the rim and getting his own basket. The next time down, inviting the double, drawing the defense out, kicking to OG, who then is able to roll and find pressures. Stuff like that, just making the most out of those two-for-ones, two, the two for ones, that's the next step for Pascal is to just be really, really good at extracting maximum value. And today, the efficiency was just up, uh, absurd. And look, listen, everybody played really well. Again, in the starting group, I thought Scotty obviously played excellent, plus 15. The ball movement with Scotty on the floor was just phenomenal. Obviously, he's been, you know, seeing a lot of this drop back coverage now. He's able to screen for the ball and he's able to, you know, all that kind of stuff. But he's also able to score against it too, right? One of the ways that the Raptors are slowly starting to feed Scotty is not just like him dribble handoff into, you know, uh, Gary or, or, or Fred receiving the ball or even OG receiving the ball. There's also the, the you could still pick and roll with Scotty, even with his defender drop back. In fact, it's almost easier to feed him on the roll because his defender is so far back from the play that the bounce pass or the windows to sort of shovel the ball back to Scotty after he sets the screen on the ball is so large that like Fred's able to find him. And look, listen, it's not to say that these were all like simple dimes. In fact, I thought in the third quarter, what Fred did a really great job of was sort of manipulating the pass, right? Getting into the lane, changing up the angle of the pass, jumping into the pass sometimes, pump faking the pass, and then throwing the lob to, to uh, Scotty. Essentially just like changing the rhythm so that the Hornets weren't, you know, able to intercept uh, and break it up. But you know, I, I think they're able to find Scotty now on the roll so that he can finish. But I think, you know, the other thing, too, with Scotty is just it's fun watching him distribute, right? A lot of, you know, backdoor passes where guys are cutting. And, you know, if he's at the top of the floor um, and, and guys are sort of cutting, you know, to the basket, unless, like, they're playing the super deep drop. Like, there's two types of drop, right? There's, like, the regular drop, which you're usually probably about, like, I don't know, a meter, maybe two meters off of your man. You're giving up the shot, but you're also not, like, waiting at the basket, Versus like, you know, the super deep drop where you're like literally taking three second violations in terms of how much you're ignoring the pass. And so there is still a small gap behind the defense. And that's where, you know, Scotty has done a really good job of, you know, feeding guys like Gary on the cut, you know, uh, going to the basket. And yeah, it's that the high post passing is always something that is really um, a beautiful part of basketball. Something that we've really appreciated from a Marcus Gasol first and foremost. You know, from like a Thad Young who did it uh, quite a bit at the start of the season. Obviously, he's not playing as much. But now you're seeing it from Scotty as well, making those same kind of reads and same kind of plays. Um, but it's also the clever stuff, right? Like Scotty, for example, will run a fast break and, you know, he'll have someone running to the basket. He'll have someone flaring out to the opposite corner. But, you know, and he will set up as if he's going to pass to the roller, but his eyes will be looking at the opposite corner. But instead, he throws the pass the third option, which is to Gary on the wing. You know, and that was actually the most open option because of the fact of how he manipulates both those sort of scenarios to sell both the roll and the opposite corner kick out. But instead, he passes to the strong side and whatever. I think Gary might have missed it and it wasn't a great shooting game for Gary. And to be honest, like this is a this is a potential assist type of night for for Scotty, who should have definitely finished with double digit assists instead of just nine. But yeah, I, I think the, the ball movement was just really strong with him. I think his defense has also been pretty good. Like, I think, obviously, he's been around the basket. Look, Gardy Plumley on the roll, whatever. Like, the fact that he finished 6-6 six six from the field and also 4-6 on the free throw line, some of that is just really good ball movement. Um, and also, he is the biggest guy in the building, so he's able to sort of get angles on, on certain guys. But ultimately, I think Scotty did a really good job switching out on a lot of these pick and rolls, right? Playing him at center means that you can switch, right? So the last pretty much month or so, what we've seen is, um, instead of Fred guarding the, the main ball handler, the main wing, uh, it's been OJ and Obi. So, for example, OG has been the primary defender on, you know, uh, LaMelo Ball the last two games. And by the way, LaMelo has been awesome the last two games. There's no doubt about that, right? Like outside of some late turnovers here, I thought he played great and he played great in the first game as well. Um, but what you're able to do is neutralize a lot of what he does in the pick and roll 
by switching those actions because you have Scotty on the center, you have OG on their primary wing. Usually it's like the, the five is involved in the setting of the screen. And so, you know, and that usually creates a size mismatch and they're able to attack that and read that, right? That's usually the advantage generated on most pick and rolls. But because you have two like-sized defenders in OG and Scotty, who are both also your most switchable guys, in addition to Pascal and Precious, you're able to switch a lot more of those actions, which means that Scotty does need to come out on the perimeter and contain the ball and, you know, guard Rogier on the drive or guard Lons- or, uh, Lamello on a drive. It's not easy, but I thought he did a pretty good job of it as well. And today, finally, Scotty, who I think in the past I've sort of like, you know, griped about, okay, what is the fake charge? Like, why are you sort of selling the charge and then like sort of um, pulling out of it last second? Like, what is this defensive strategy? Today, he finally sold the charge, got the guy to drive, and then blocked the the little push floater as well. So, you know what? I guess that's one of the intended effects. But yeah, ultimately, I thought Scotty played well. And then, you know, for OG and Gary, they're mostly just trying to finish plays, right? Gary obviously, you know, uh, had an off night in terms of shooting two of 11 from three, but I, I liked most of the looks that he was getting. He was aggressive on defense. You know, to be honest, he gambled and lost a couple of times. Uh, I guess that's sort of part of him being aggressive. So it's really about making the right gambles. But I think the intent to play defense was strong from Gary today. Um, You know, just I I think the looks were good. This could have easily been a 30-point night for Gary just based on how open some of the shots were. Um, But he just wasn't able to knock those down. OG was also very open a lot of the times. Also had a bunch of steals especially in the fourth quarter, had four steals as well. I mean, 15, four rebounds, four assists, and four steals with a block for OJ Anobi with three triples. That's excellent. You do wonder, okay, some of the times when he's driving to the basket, those are not the most efficient plays, or he pulls up from the mid-range, those are not the most efficient plays. But ultimately, you know, they played the role well enough. And then, of course, Fred just essentially taking himself out of the offense uh, and just setting guys up and, of course, knocking another big three at the end. I mean, that is his reputation, right? Like, we've seen it in the last three games here where the Raptors have won where against Portland, it was Fred who knocked on those back-to-back threes that helped the Raptors separate from a three-point advantage to a nine-point advantage and forcing Portland to a timeout, and the Raptors eventually hold on to that lead. Last game against Charlotte, Fred has a quiet night, knocks down two threes. Late against Charlotte, uh, and then OG knocks down two threes, and then the Raptors put the Hornets away in the fourth quarter. And then today, the Raptors had the Hornets put away, but they kept missing open shots. Gary had some wide-open threes he wasn't knocking down. The Hornets got a couple of lucky plays. It's like, okay, maybe it's like, a, you know, we can maybe get it to a one-possession game and get them to sweat a little bit. And then the Raptors were able to get Pascal attacking, drawing two defenders to him at half court, swing to OG, rolling to the basket. OG makes the next pass out to Fred wide open in the corner. He knocks it down easily against a desperate closeout, and it's game over. You know, and yeah, we can finally... See a three-game win streak on the season. Um, you know, it, it sucks that it's taken literally more than half the year to do it. Um, but, of course, you know, when you play the Hornets twice back-to-back at home, you just any serious team needs to take those two games. I mean, that's that's just the bottom line. You just need to take them. They're, they're very, very winnable games here. And, yeah, listen, if, if you wanted to see the Raptors continue in that tanking direction, obviously you're probably disappointed. But if you wanted to see the Raptors continue to compete or at least give themselves a chance to show what they have, before the trade deadline, which is still in like, you know, over three weeks, um, you at least have to give them this chance to play themselves out of these games. And listen, if the Raptors lost any of these games to Charlotte, you'd be pretty pissed, right? If they lost to Portland in that game, then you'd probably be pretty pissed. Um, but instead, they've sort of turned it around. They found a decent thing to use off the bench, right? Like guys like Chris and Precious have really reemerged. Christian, if he was out of foul trouble, I thought could have played really well in this game, but he didn't. Malachi just continues to not even look at the rim. Um, so, you know, it, it's tough for Malachi. 14 minutes, only one shot. He missed it as well. 
Um, you know, Wancho has sort of given them a little bit of defensive sort of connectiveness, you know, had a verticality at the rim, had a cut back door. You know, Wancho's not going to blow you away, but again, he's giving you some contribution. Nick has found some decent rotation now to use with his roster fully available to him. And, and yeah, I mean, say what you want about the opposition. Obviously, you know, no one's that ultimately impressed when you beat a 500 team in, in the Blazers and you beat the Charlotte Hornets, who are like probably the worst team in the league, at least in the Eastern Conference. It's either them or Houston, to be honest, for worst team in the league. Um, you know, you're not necessarily celebrating. But damn, like uh, thinking back a month ago, the Raptors losing back to back in Orlando when Orlando was one of the worst teams in the league. What You know, that felt way worse than what I'm seeing the last two nights here. So, you know, positive stuff all around. And again, you just. I have to say this one more time. You just can't take Pascal's greatness for granted, man. Like it, it, stuff like this is just this. This is one of the most efficient games I've seen in the Raptors uniform. Thirty-five points on thirteen shots, making all three threes, getting to the free throw line. Beautiful stuff. So in terms of the wrapping up the show, your three stars. Obviously, Pascal's gonna get that first star. Um, like I mentioned, thirty-five points, um, seven rebounds, three assists, a block, thirty-eight minutes. Excellent. Close down the game. Excellent. Um, just great stuff. Uh, put him in the All Star game. Second star is going to go to Scotty Barnes. 21 points, 8 rebounds, 9 assists, 2 blocks, 8 of 14 shooting from the field, 5 of 6 on the free throw line. I think he's getting so much more comfortable in this role. Sort of like, you know, it's really accentuating a lot of the, the strong parts of his of his game, which are to connect plays, right? He's able to um, be closer to the basket. A couple more offensive rebounds for him as well, including one in the fourth quarter. That was pretty big. Um, but, yeah, he's just able to, you know, do stuff that's more within his comfort zone right now, which is obviously finishing at the basket. He's very good at the rim. Um, you know, he's able to, he's probably the Raptors' best role guy as well, not just in terms of rolling and finishing, but also the ability to um, to make the extra pass out, the next pass out, and they're finding ways to sort of attack these sort of gaps, getting downhill against centers. He's done a pretty good job defensively against a lot of these guys too. Like, it's not like the Raptors... I mean, outside of Steven Adams, who just, like, literally ragged all the Raptors or, or Ivica Zubac, uh, but the game before that, like, the Raptors have actually done a pretty decent job against opposing centers. I think Scotty's done a good job on that front as well, switching out the perimeter too. He's just playing his role well. Like, I, I think there's no complaints at all, really, about the way Scotty's been performing. His engagement level has been strong, too. This game, in addition to that Portland game, he was able to really be engaged and contribute through all four quarters. Every time Scotty came into the game, you could see his impact. He wasn't necessarily disappearing into the flow. He was involved, very engaged. And again, just really positive stuff, like stuff that reminds you, like, yes, this is why the Raptors feel so strongly about this player. This is why the fans feel so strongly about this player. He has this immense talent. And even though he still has obviously weaknesses in this game, there are already enough strengths that you can get him to produce in a game like this where he almost had a triple-double. So nice night for him. And then your third star, um, you know, you can go a lot of places with this, but to be honest, I think you, it's between OG and, and Fred. I think I'm going to give it to Fred. A couple of these games I've been saying I'm not giving it to Fred, I'm giving it to Christian or whatever. Yeah, I mean, the, the late three, obviously, to close. But I just think that, like, again, just buying and accepting in this role. You know, obviously, he wants to be, um, you know, more of a ball handler, you know, maybe attacking more of the plays here. And look, defensively, he could have been stronger, right? I think OG definitely had a better defensive game than Fred. But at the same time, you know, like I, I thought Fred, you know, knocking down that three, the efficiency was strong, four of eight from the field. It felt like every single basket he made was one to sort of cut against um, any sort of momentum that uh, Charlotte was potentially building. Also, the assist to Scotty is excellent. Again, man, he just found Scotty for so many looks at the rim, which was really nice to see. Um, you know, disruptive defensively. You know, like, again, you just wanted to see better dribble penetration um, defense in terms of just containing the dribble. Um, but ultimately, he was able to force a couple turnovers as well. 
And uh, yeah, good game from Fred. Man, Fred's also sort of studied out a little bit here as well. It's nice to see him knock down these late threes. Um, that's really one of the signature parts of his game is that when you need a guy to take a big three, Fred Van Vliet's going to do that. Because again, going back to the finals, <laughs> when you got guys like Pascal who had a great game one, actually a pretty great game six as well. And Fred obviously had a great game six. You know, these are guys that have been there and done that. So when it's the Hornets in January, you can take care of business. And uh, yeah. Uh, in terms of your Gerald Henderson award winner, once again, it's going to go to to uh, Terry Rogier, Scary Terry, or as Kawhi called him, Scary Tony. Um, yeah, big Tony Rogier, man. This guy, I can't, he's like the Julius Randle of guards. He just takes the worst shots, the worst decisions, and they just make their way into the rim. I don't get it. I don't get it. It's confounding when I'm seeing a whole season of the Raptors missing shots, wide open shots, and then I'm watching Rozier in the last two games, and I'm watching Randall the week before that just make the worst shots possible. I'm just like, how how does that work? You know what I mean? Like, you work so hard to get great shots, you miss them, and then they work backwards to get horrible shots and make them. Doesn't make any sense, but yeah, Rozier was was able to make a a lot of tough ones. Apparently, his shooting percentage is awful on the season, which would not be surprising to me. Um, Let me just quickly look it up. He's shooting... 41% 41% from the field and 32% from three. What the hell? Like, not against the Raptors, but yeah. Um, yeah, they were able to outlast Tony. Um, so uh, that does for the Reaction Podcast. Thanks for listening. Um, we got another episode of the Raptor Show on Friday. So look out for that at 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and of course, I have uh, another game at home to recap here. The Raptors wrap up their six-game road uh, homestand against the Atlanta Hawks here on Saturday. So hopefully they're able to take that game as well. But uh, for now, thanks everyone for listening. Continue to rate, review, subscribe. I'm seeing the listenership and the, the podcast charting stronger again now that the Raptors are winning. Uh, and that's cool. Obviously, a lot of people love listening when, when, when we win. But, you know, still, even when they lose, I think we got to still be here before they win. So, um, yeah, just continue to rate, review, subscribe, and I'll check out the tomorrow.